0: AX hey, Files Listeners, this week we're bringing you an episode of Margins of Error, a new podcast from CNN's terrific numbers guy, Harry Enten. On Margins of Error, Harry finds the human stories hidden in statistics. This season he explores questions like why phone anxiety is on the rise and what it might mean for polling, and why statistically it's both harder and easier than ever to top the music charts. In the episode we're sharing today, Harry asks how the 2020 election turned into a week-long event and whether this is our new normal. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you do, too. Shalom, folks. Harry here, coming to you directly from a soundstage I stood on during Election Week 2020. Today, we're looking at the 2020 election and how it was the longest election night ever that didn't need to be. This is Margins of Error. You know, when we were coming up with the idea for this podcast, I gotta be honest. I told my bosses that I didn't wanna do a podcast about elections. The truth is that politics over the last five years, and especially during the coronavirus, well, it wore me out. I wanted to span out and talk about non-politically related topics. But I gotta say, when it comes around election time, I get, dare I say, a tingling up my spine. So as the one year anniversary of arguably the most contentious election of our lifetimes rolls around, I feel the need to talk about it.
1: Hi Harry, it's Olivia calling. I did not think it was gonna get called in one night. I didn't think it would take quite as long as it ended up taking.
2: Yes, I did expect the race to be called in one day because I trusted the polls.
3: I spent my night with friends in D.C. having a big election night party. My girlfriend and I got hammered and watched Cats, and it was fantastic.
0: This episode is going to be a bit different from the other journeys we've taken. We're going to talk about why this election took so long to call... And we'll wonder whether the idea of election night is gone for forever. Because this is not just an academic exercise. Faith in our electoral system is at play. Former President Donald Trump tried to sow doubt about the 2020 election results in the months leading up to the election, and poll numbers show that Americans had less confidence in this election result than any election in recent memory. Now surveys reveal that a majority, a majority of Americans think American democracy is under attack. This round of lack of confidence started in the lead up to and ballooned during election week 2020, which makes this point in American history so important. So let's get into it.
2: This is CNN. More people get their news from CNN than any other news source.
0: Election night has turned into the electoral version of the Super Bowl. You know what I'm talking about. We ordered pizza, make popcorn, and settle in for a long evening. And during our lifetimes, elections have slowly but surely conditioned us to go to bed at the end of the night, knowing who's won. With the exception of the 2000 election between Al Gore and George W. Bush, every single presidential election since 1948 had been successfully declared by the news media by noon the day after the election. But we didn't get that in 2020. Again, with the exception of that infamous Florida recount, this election took about 72 more hours to call than any election since 1948. This includes similarly close elections like the ones in 1948, 1960, 1968, and 1976. Another way of putting it, with the exception of 2000, this election took seven times longer to call. And the truth is, 2020 may not be that much of an aberration going forward. It seems like an understatement to say we're living in an environment in which misinformation and falsehoods seem to pile up faster than ever. Even long after the November election was declared by the television networks, we've seen a movement among some Republicans to try and delegitimize the voting process. But before we get into the details of why this election took so long to call and how it could have been avoided... Let's take a step back and look at how we got here. To do that, I spoke with Nicole Hemmer. She's a political historian at Columbia University. I asked her if there had been any historical analogous cases to the 2020 election with the COVID pandemic, or if this was truly a -a once-in-a-lifetime situation.
1: Well, cross your fingers on the once-in-a-lifetime thing. We still have some years ahead of us, but it is... There isn't an easy historical analogy for it. I mean, we've certainly had elections disrupted by world historic events before. In 1864, there was an election in the middle of a civil war, and it's hard to imagine something more disruptive than that. But we're just in such a different political environment, media environment, and technological environment That it's hard to compare because on the one hand, you do have the pandemic and the changes to election law that allowed people to vote in ways they hadn't voted before. But you also had a sitting president who was telegraphing that he wouldn't accept the election results if he had lost um, sort of. Pre predicting that the election would be stolen. It's not that presidents haven't complained about election results before, but it's just a very different set of circumstances, a different confluence of circumstances. So I think it is probably appropriate to treat 2020 as a really, really odd year.
0: I want to talk more broadly about the history of election night, or I should say election week, because in plenty of 19th century elections, The idea that we would get results instantaneously, that has not always been the case. I think we've almost been spoiled outside of election 2000 before 2020, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not until 1848 that everyone is even voting on the same day. There was a 34-day spread in which uh, people could vote for president in the first half of the 19th century. So getting an election night (laughs) first requires having an election day. And then you need to have some sort of instantaneous form of communication in order to begin compiling and tabulating the results across the nation all at once. So it's not until the mid-19th century when you have the telegraph that you're able to get that information transmitted instantaneously to begin to have an election night. And then there's
0: one more component. Once you have that information, how do you get it to the people?
1: First, they let people know by publishing it in the newspaper. But by the 1870s, election night becomes this major event where, in places all across the country, but in New York City that the New York Times is doing this, where they have a projector against a side of a building where tens of thousands of people will gather to watch them project the results once they have them so that they can know instantaneously who won the election. Um, and that then becomes kind of a, a tradition in U.S. politics where people begin to expect by the 20th century that they're going to know who the president is on election night, especially once you get radio and television.
0: Now, there's nothing, though, in the Constitution or federal law or anything like that that says that we have to determine winners quickly, right? I mean, you have deadlines that the places have to meet, but the idea that we should get a result early that's more of a manufactured type of a thing than something that law or anything else requires us to do, right?
1: Right. I mean, this is a a part of political culture, not part of election law. I think that we all got a a deep dive into all of those different deadlines over the course of the 2020 election. But before that, it was really something driven by Journalism by the media industry, right? That you wanted to get results out, you wanted to be the first to know.
0: Of course, in 2020, the media couldn't project a winner quickly. The reason had everything to do with how media organizations project a winner. To explore why, I turned to two friends.
2: My name's Nate Cohn, I write for uh, The Upshot at the New York Times. I conduct our political surveys. I also have a big role in our election night forecasting, including the so-called needle, which is a live forecast that attempts to estimate the outcome of an
0: election based on partial returns. I also spoke with Dave Wasserman. He's the House editor for the Cook Political Report.
3: I try and blend the qualitative and the quantitative, right? I think if you're only looking at one of those two pictures, you're missing half the picture.
0: I've known Nate and Dave for about a decade, and when it comes to election stats and understanding the 2020 election, these are the people to talk to. I wanted their help in trying to parse out why this crazy election just took so darn long to call. The key thing we agreed upon is that network decision desks are going to be cautious. They won't call a race unless they are at least 99.5% confident that a state will be won by a candidate before projecting it. That's especially the case after 2000 when the networks had to pull back Florida projections not once, but twice. There really are no maybes in election calls. To reach that 99.5% threshold fairly quickly in the last 40 years, the networks have relied upon a three-pronged approach, which really didn't work well in 2020. Exit polls, sample precincts, and early returns. Here's Dave Wasserman. Obviously, Decision
3: desks used to be much more invested in exit polling. They'd put more weight on the surveys of voters as they were exiting the voting booth. And that used to be a really important driver of election night calls. Now, given the massive growth in the proportion of the electorate that cast ballots in advance of election day and the shift towards voting by mail, it's just really impossible to make strong conclusions about a competitive race from an exit poll.
0: Exit polls were quite helpful, for example, in basically projecting the 1980 election between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter just a few minutes into prime time on the East Coast.
3: At 15 minutes after the hour, here are the news headlines to this minute. It appears Ronald Reagan is headed for an overwhelming victory over President Carter with 13% of the vote counted. Reagan is leading the president 51 to 43%.
0: The problem is that while you can supplement an Election Day exit poll with calls to voters casting ballots before Election Day, there's a real inability to know what percentage of votes were cast on versus before Election Day. That was a big issue in 2020 because one of the things the coronavirus did was make a lot more people want to vote by mail. At the same time, a number of states that had traditionally made it fairly difficult to vote by mail passed laws between 2016 and 2020 to make it easier. The result was that the percentage of votes cast by mail skyrocketed from about 24% in 2016 to 43% in 2020. Now, that might not be a big deal if the votes cast by mail were as Democratic or Republican as those cast on Election Day. But it really was a specific type of voter who wanted to vote by mail. In 2016, mail voting was about 14 points more Democratic than in person Election Day voting across a sample of states studied by 538. In 2020, vote by mail was 65 points more Democratic in a similar 538 study. The fact that more Democrats voted by mail really shouldn't be surprising, given that Democrats were more likely to pursue alternatives to in person events as well as then-President Trump falsely bashing vote-by-mail is ripe for fraud. We should be clear, though. The high numbers of vote-by-mail didn't just mess with exit polling. It messed with other facets of how networks have traditionally called elections, such as a randomized set of sample precincts. Here's Nate Cohn.
2: Sample precincts are when networks go and collect the results from precincts all across the state and The goal is to be able to identify rather quickly, based on potentially only a handful of uh, individual precincts, how the state overall is going to fare. They can compare the results in a precinct to the results from an exit poll in that same precinct to try and judge whether they think the exit polls are skewed. They can compare how those precincts voted in this election to prior elections. And eventually they have so many of them that they can even just estimate what the overall statewide vote is based on the precincts and nothing else. But vote-by-mail can make
0: that kind of projection very difficult.
2: There was a huge difference between people who voted by mail and people who voted in person. In Pennsylvania, the difference between the people who voted by mail and those who voted in person was even larger than the difference between people who voted in Philadelphia
0: and the rest of the state. In other words, you can't judge whether the result for a candidate is strong or weak in a county or precinct if you don't know whether the result that has been tabulated is election day or pre-election day votes. Additionally, you can't really judge how strong a candidate might be in vote by mail if all you have is election day results. Back to Dave.
3: So the key is really, okay, in which geographic pockets of an election are we seeing complete results? And can we then compare it to what's happened in previous races that are instructive or a good model of what we might expect in this one? And if there's a pretty clear pattern and a race is on track for one candidate to finish decently ahead, it's, it's probably OK to make that judgment. But media organizations have to be extremely careful about their calls because you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to diminish viewers or, or readers' faith in the declarations you're making.
0: Next up, we'll talk about the clue we had long before Election Day that election night was going to turn into election week. We're talking about election night 2020 and how it was the longest, most drawn out election night ever that didn't need to be. And it turns out we had some pretty obvious indications months before election day about just how hard it was going to be to project a winner.
3: The real sign for me was actually a special election in New York's 27th district.
0: That's Dave Wasserman again from the Cook Political Report, one of the nation's premier political newsletters, talking about the district in between Buffalo and Rochester.
3: I believe it was in June of 2020. That was really the first partisan race that we saw in the pandemic where you had a big, big divide between the mail-in vote and the Election Day vote. You know, initially, the Republican candidate, Chris Jacobs, was ahead by, you know, something like 42 points. And, And that was based on Election Day ballots that were counted first. And then once you added in the absentee ballots, I believe the margin in that race over Nate McMurray, and this is is a very Republican district, by the way, closed to something like five or six points. And that's when it was like, oh, man, this divide is going to
0: be absolutely massive,
3: and we need to be able to prepare
0: people for it. The thing that made this even more confusing was that different states had different rules for which ballots they would count first. Analysts such as myself tried to prepare the audience for this phenomenon, but to be honest, even I had a tough time keeping track.
3: So we had to make clear that there was going to be a red mirage early on election night that could then be overcome by disproportionately blue ballots, uh, mail-in ballots that were counted later, especially in Pennsylvania, especially in Wisconsin, Michigan, and of course, Florida, which has... um, a well-established regime of mail-in voting that allowed counties to to basically report those mail-in ballots first. It was the opposite in much of the South, where we had those mail-in and early ballots released minutes after the polls closed. And then it was the election day vote that offset it later. So we had a blue mirage in, in the South, a red mirage in the North. And that's something that was pretty difficult to convey to viewers.
0: The reason we couldn't determine the winner of the election quickly was it took forever to get the vote by mail results counted in a number of key states. Here's Nate. There are a number of battleground states that have a long tradition of processing
2: mail absentee votes and Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin aren't really those states. Michigan, you know, and Wisconsin have always had some small number of absentee ballots, but the sheer number of absentee votes skyrocketed in 2020 and that created big new burdens on election administrators who now had to process all of these ballots sometimes for the first time and had to figure out how to do it quickly and i think it's fair to say that some states did a better job of that than others and that's
0: part of why uh, it took so long to get the results in some of these states in florida the vote got counted quickly and the biggest reason why is simple the law Florida law allows for mail ballots to begin to be processed 22 days before the election. At the same time, other laws prevented some northern battleground states from counting early. With some exceptions, absentee ballots could only begin to get processed in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin on Election Day morning. Back to Dave.
3: This was by design. In in these northern states where Republicans controlled the legislature, they did not make changes that election administrators were calling for in many of these states. Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court basically split the baby and issued a a ruling that didn't please either party before the election. It did give Democrats some things they wanted with regards to mail-in balloting, but uh, there was this issue with so-called naked ballots. It didn't turn out to be a very large issue in the end, but basically the state Supreme Court said that if voters forgot to seal their ballot in an inner envelope before putting it in the outer envelope that they would mail back, then it couldn't count. Democrats were worried that could cost them the margin in Pennsylvania because they knew they were going to have such a large lead among those mail ballots, and they didn't want any of them invalidated.
0: In other words, the system worked as designed. On Saturday, four days after Election Day, major news outlets began calling the presidential election. Election week was over.
1: I actually went on a cross-country road trip. So I was driving through the middle of, gosh, I think I was in Colorado or maybe Idaho on the day that it was called. And I was totally by myself in my car and I promptly started But I actually had to pull over because it was a little bit hazardous to drive, crying so hard.
2: It was a beautiful Saturday. We're in the city in Chicago uh, at a park with friends.
3: I was on a rooftop in D.C. and I
0: didn't even find out from Twitter. I just heard people honking. The delay in determining a winner wasn't just an inconvenience for some and may have had longer lasting and serious consequences. According to the Stanford MIT Health Elections Project, quote, the delay in election results may have provided the opportunity for misinformation to erode trust in the electoral process, end quote. And while there are certainly other explanations at play, in a mid-November 2020 Monmouth University poll, 30% of registered voters had no confidence at all that the election was fair. That was up from just 11% in a CNN SSRS poll completed a week before the election. This 30% was also more than double the percentage who said they had no confidence at all in polls taken after every election since 2004. Here's Nate. I don't
2: understand why it's not more of a priority to make things easier on election administrators and to produce election results in a more timely fashion. The risks have been obvious for a long time. This didn't come from nowhere. And it seems like something that any reasonable person would agree contributes somewhat to creating the preconditions for a contested election.
0: We ought to recognize that we don't live in the world in which we wish we lived in. We live in the world that we do live in and that it is to any number of people important to have a clear understanding of what's cooking as soon as we possibly can. Yes, the number one thing is to get the results right. That secondary is to get the results quick, but it's perhaps not as secondary as some people wish it
2: to be. I do think that simpler is better. A streamlined voting system with fewer moving pieces for election officials to keep track of is one that's likely to result in fewer errors, a more efficient allocation of resources, fewer lines for voters, and faster results. I don't really care how it is, um, how it's done. But I think you can solve problems by adding complexity and adding additional layers, or you can solve problems by making things easier on yourself. You have to choose one of those options, but I think it's worth remembering that both are options.
0: When you have a long election night, it's not just fun and games. There's a real serious component here of stuff that can be harmful in ways that I don't think a lot of people have wrapped their minds completely around.
2: Well, I think that they've probably come closer to wrapping their minds around it now than in October of twenty twenty. I mean, I think that we've seen the consequences of what happens when you play hardball with American democracy. The damage is real, it's difficult to undo, and I think there are very few people outside of a very cynical group, and maybe that cynical group is larger than I fear it is, who
0: basically don't think it was worth it. The bashing of mail voting and the drawn-out election may have had deadly consequences, according to political historian Nicole Hammer.
1: This was always something that was hanging over the election and American politics in those two months that follow the 2020 election, which is how much of this is political theater? How much of this is just about raising money and continuing to feed not just a political base, but a fan base? And how much of it is something that is going to strain the system, the political system to its breaking point? And January 6th was evidence of the very real consequences of pursuing this type of conspiracy and beating this this narrative about a stolen election.
0: So we know what the problems were for the 2020 election, but what about future elections? How might they change? And how might we solve this going forward? Dave, Nate, and Nicole all have some thoughts. Here's Dave. I
3: suspect that we are going to see a permanent shift towards casting ballots in advance. I think you had genuinely more undecided voters 20 years ago, back when most voters waited until election day to cast their ballots. Now you have uh, fewer of them. And I think elections from district to district more closely resemble censuses of how many Democrats and Republicans live in a given area than true contests between different, two different people of differing qualifications and backgrounds who are trying to win hearts and minds.
0: And Nate.
2: We know that the count in Florida nowadays is basically instantaneous, but that was not true in the year 2000. Once you sort of adopt a given system of voting, you have opportunities to improve upon it over time. And I think that some of these northern states will have plenty of opportunities to improve on what they showed us in 2020. And I would expect some of those changes to be in place by 2022.
1: And here's Nicole. So the one thing that I would say is that one area that is actually more easily reformable is journalistic coverage of elections and election night. I think the way that we do television coverage of election nights is just, it's confusing, it's misinforming. I think showing the rolling totals of votes as they come in from different parts of the state make very little sense um because they're not providing a complete picture because they leave really profound misimpressions. So if I could wave my wand and make one change, it might be to how we relay information about elections. In part because that's something that you and I as people who work more in the journalism world than in the making electoral policy world. That's something that we have more control over.
0: The key thing to take away from our experts is they believe the proliferation of mail voting is likely to be permanent. And the question is, what pathway do we take to process and cover the new normal? Additionally, ahead of 2022 and 2024, some, such as Texas legislators, have already tried to set the stage to make it easier to overturn the results of democratic and fair elections in this country. Now, all of this on its own may drag out future election nights. Of course, merely reforming the way absentee ballots are counted so they can begin to be processed long before election day may help speed up the count and lessen the chance of conspiracy theories taking hold. In fact, we've already had an example of how that might work. Georgia in its 2021 Senate runoffs began to process mail ballots long before the equivalent day in the 2020 election. The result? Instead of the winners being declared 10 days after the election, as Joe Biden was in November, the winners of the Senate runoffs were declared by the day after the election. And as Nicole suggests, the media needs to stay on this story. Long vote counts, if needed, do not mean that there's something fishy going on. And it's our job to make people know they're okay. Something I will say the media has generally done. The good news is that we now have more experience with everything that happened in 2020. Both state election boards and the media should be in a better position to cover things in 2022 and beyond. And if nothing else, so too do you, the listener. Hopefully, and I say this with all the hope in my heart, you won't need to be adding sleeping bags to the list of items you ask people to bring to your election night party going forward. Margins of Error is a production of CNN Audio and Magnificent Noise. It's produced by Sabrina Farhi, Eva Walchover, Jesse Baker, Megan Marcus, and Ashley Lusk, with support from Lindsay Abrams and Alexander McCall. Our sound designer is Kristen Muller. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom. And me? Well, I'm Harry Enten.